tuning in to the High Motor Podcast. Andrew Doughty here with a basketball show today on the Hero Sports Podcast Network, and it's going to be a good one. TJ Otzelberger, South Dakota State head coach, he's going to be on in just a minute. TJ in his third season, they're looking for a fourth straight tourney appearance, obviously his third straight, one of the younger Division One programs in the country. They've been on a nice run lately. His career uh, trajectory definitely going up. And then after him, Marshall head coach Dan D'Antoni, thundering her coming off that tourney win last year, first one in program history. He's in his fourth season looking for that return trip in a conference USA that's kind of beating up on each other right now. So I want to ask him about some career things. I just want to ask both of them about some career things. Uh, I want to ask Coach D'Antoni how that whole process went when uh, he was offered the Marshall job after his brother Mike was reportedly the front runner and there was reportedly mutual interest there between Marshall and Mike. So I'm curious how that whole process went down uh, almost five years ago. Now you can find all episodes of High Motor on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, and Overcast. Have some good episodes coming up. Keep up with all of those on Twitter. We're on Twitter at High Motor Pod at a Dowdy. 88. Okay, let's fire it up with TJ Otzelberg. Coach, thanks for joining the High Motor Podcast. A couple of days after that win in Denver, you're eighth in a row, second straight year, you're 9-1 in the conference. Are you pleased with where your team is at right now? I am. I think, you know, we've had to mesh in some younger guys with some veteran guys, and that, that takes time. And to me, you get to this point in the year, some of the most important things that you guys are having fun, that they're enjoying playing together. Uh, you've got great character in the group, and they share the basketball. And we're fortunate to have all those things uh, with our team. So you're looking for a third straight summit title, and obviously would be a third straight tourney bid. You signed an extension earlier this year. I think that was announced in December, right before the end of the year. Uh, that would carry into the 2022 season, I believe. How would you describe your fit at South Dakota State and why you want to be there? Well, I think it's a perfect fit for me. It's a, it's a place that cares about basketball, that uh, embraces my family, that's uh, they want to be successful and continue to raise the bar, and that really fits me and where I'm at and my family's at uh, in our lives. So, uh, it, you know, it's it's really a, a sleeping giant in so many ways. Um, you know, we continue to grow and, and build things and, and add and take, take our program to the next level. So I think it's tremendous support from our administration, our president, our AD, and uh, relationships all around the community and campus and it's just uh, it's a fun time and it's uh, we're enjoying every minute of it so you use the word sleeping giant why do you why do you refer to your program as that and second question do you did you see it as a sleeping giant back well, about two and a half years ago when you took that job well you could tell um, that there was things in place to be successful I think to me the most important thing as a coach is you want to have a administration with an athletic director and president that are all aligned and, and I think when I met the people especially Justin Seller athletic director and his vision uh, of growth and, and forward movement it really stood out to me and I could tell that he wanted to do something special here so that vision is something we tried to carry forward and I felt it when you know we came to visit about the job and every day you can just sense it so uh, just saw the unbelievable potential, and, and we we feel like we still have a long ways to go, and we're going to keep working hard uh, to try to continue to improve. So, Coach, everybody can see your resume. I mean, you've worked under Steve Prohm, Fred Hoiberg, uh, Lorenzo Romar, Greg McDermott. I mean, you've been a piece of some really darn good teams. And, Coach, I want to ask this as respectfully as possible. Do you see 
why other programs could you see you as a potential candidate for other jobs? Well, I, like you mentioned, I mean, I've been really fortunate to have great mentors as coaches. Um, those four guys at the Division One level, with McDermott and Robar and Hoiberg and Prohm are all guys that are tremendous people, uh, great coaches, and I've been able to learn uh, from each of them in a lot of different areas, and I think they've helped uh, prepare me for this opportunity. I have a tremendous amount of gratitude to those guys, and still I'm very friendly with all four and stay in touch with those guys um, you know, to this day. So, you know, in terms of anything beyond South Dakota State, I mean, I don't know what other schools are looking for or what, you know, is, is uh, things that they see as desirable in the coach. Um, I know it fits me, and I know that we're really happy here. Um, above this opportunity, I'm going to continue to, you know, to make the best we can and continue to provide a elite, you know, experience for our student-athletes in our program. You seem like a guy that, that really lives in the moment. That's not just a company line. Like you, you truly live in the moment. You truly um, live by what you preach to your kids. And my question regarding that is what was your expectation? Maybe that's not the right word, but we'll use it. We'll say what was your expectation when you started coaching? You know, Back when you were coaching high school basketball in Milwaukee or like even your first college job, did you have a, a career goal? I mean, looking back, what are we, 15, 18, some odd years ago, what was your your mindset career-wise back then when you first got into this? When I first got into it, it was important to me to, I wanted to be a varsity high school basketball coach and teacher, and I was able to have that situation present itself at a, at a very young age, at 24. And so I was running my own program, loved uh, the impact you can have on young people, their development, loved teaching the game, loved the competitive atmosphere, uh, all the team uh, learning lessons that pay off for a lifetime. So I was fortunate at 24 to kind of have what, you know, I wanted. And then I could sense at that point I wanted something a little bit more. I wanted more time with the guys. I wanted more basketball. I wanted uh, to pour more into the young men in our program and then also, you know, build those relationships and have that time to do some special things. And that's when I kind of set out on the, you know, the mission in, in college coaching, which, you know, started at Chipotle College in Mariana, Florida, and now has brought us uh, full circle to this position at South Dakota State. So, um, you know, more than anything, I didn't have a uh, end goal. I didn't say I wanted to be a Division One head coach necessarily. Um, I just feel like, to me, I'm very uh, process-oriented. I want to try to serve uh, young people, help them reach their dream, and feel like if I commit my heart and soul to that every day, that things will work themselves out. So we've been really lucky along the way to have such great young people to work with and coaches to work with that uh, been really fortunate and enjoyed every day of it. feels like I've never worked a day in my life. Do you feel like that initial mindset, like you said, you, you got essentially everything that you wanted, being, being a high school head coach, uh, being a teacher, and that's what you wanted then. Do you feel like that mindset – kind of resets when you get to each job. Like, you know, you, you mentioned how comfortable and how happy you are at South Dakota State. Do you feel like when you get to each job, whether it was Iowa State, Washington, wherever, that mindset kind of resets and you're like, you know what, this is what I want right now. We'll see what happens five, ten years uh, down the road. But where I am right now, this is exactly where I want to be. think that's fair to say that? Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm loving every day right now. I really appreciate the guys we have in our program love the young people I have a chance to work with and love the administration. And so I'm uh, not looking any further than what we can do to make today a great day and get the most out of it, continue to build on our relationships and, and grow our program. So, um, again, 
and move the needle forward is, is pivotal and, and really important to that happening. So that's where our focus is, and uh, we're not going to look beyond our next uh, day of practice and our next opponent. So you said you're not you're not looking beyond. You're not. It doesn't seem like you're totally looking back all that much. But I gotta ask. My family is from Milwaukee. Do you look back? and miss that Milwaukee custard, or have you managed to uh, kind of quell the loss over the years? Um, good uh, good question. Um, you know, again, Milwaukee, I think my upbringing on the south side of Milwaukee, blue-collar roots kind of always will uh, shape me in my, uh, you know, and, and for my life, and I, I think I've seen, a, I've had a lot of mentors and a lot of really hard-working people, so that Milwaukee background serves me well, and in some ways it can be harmful, because that means you eat a lot of cheese, and a lot of ice cream and a lot of dairy products too. So there's a, there's some pluses and minuses to, uh, to having those Milwaukee roots, that's for sure. All right, let's get back to some hoops here. I mentioned that third straight turning bit that you guys are chasing. Well, it'll be fourth straight for the program, your third straight. Also, Mike Dom, he's going after a third straight Conference Player of the Year award. He returned this year after declaring for the draft last year. And I don't know how many times that I've seen him say it that he is 100% committed to your program. And I'm curious, we see all that and we see what he does in the court. What's he like when the cameras aren't off, when, when he's not making the I'm committed to the program statements, when he's not dropping 34 points? What is Mike Dom like when all the cameras are off? Well, he's a phenomenal young man. I mean, tremendous character. His parents, you can tell his dad, dad's a farmer. He's got that work ethic. Uh, both parents were great athletes. Dad had a couple of... Uh, cup of coffee in the NFL. Mom was one of the most coveted or decorated players in the history of Wyoming women's basketball. So they, and she had a professional career as well. So they, he comes from an athletic background. He comes from blue collar uh, work ethic background. And, and you can tell that right away when you meet Mike. He's always got a bright smile on his face. Everything he does and approaches, he approaches with a positive enthusiasm. He loves to work. Great student, great teammate. Keeps things light around our guys. So it's just really fun. I enjoy every day uh, I get to spend with Mike uh, because he's just a fun young man to be around and keeps things light this time of year. And um, he's always uh, always upbeat. So really appreciate him for that. You were on the NABC National Association of Basketball Coaches, their podcast recently. I think it was the end of maybe January. And you talked a lot about finding the right guys for your, your your program, whether that was at Iowa State, Washington, here, wherever, you know, the selflessness, the sacrifice. And during Dom's run, you know, the last few years, other guys like, um, well, like David Jenkins right now or Skyler right now, I mean, you've had some really darn good players in your three seasons on some really darn good teams, but usually the spotlight isn't on them. I mean, everyone nationally is talking about Mike Dom and they might miss, you know, David Jenkins going for 22, 23 points. So, when you're out recruiting, can you tell when a player is the right fit or I guess wrong fit too for that type of role of, you know, having so much talent like David does or like Skyler does and being that productive but not usually having the spotlight? Can you always tell if they're the right fit for something like that? You know, I think, you know, for our program, the right fit, first of all, starts with um, guys that have demonstrated character over a period of time. Character is how you treat people. Character is how you do in the classroom. Character is, um, you know, where you want to go with, with your college experience and, and, and with basketball. And so I've learned about myself as a coach that the guys that fit me or fit our program are guys that are really passionate about it. You've got to love this game. And it sounds cliche, but you got to love it that you put in the extra hours. you got to love it that you watch extra film got to love it that you want to be held accountable and there's so many things that in our program 
are a change for guys when they come in or the standard that we set is not going to be for everybody. And, and I understand that. I've learned that even more over time. And so we try to look for some of those signs and things early on that would uh, be somebody that would fit our program. And we also have our antennas up for those who may not. And so it's not a right or wrong thing. It's just that we know it's kind of working for us here and we're going to continue to you know, the model after that blueprint. All right, before we let you go here, uh, quickly looking ahead, you have North Dakota at home on Saturday, a road trip to Omaha NDSU after that. Uh, North Dakota, yeah, they're near the bottom of the standings. You beat them a couple weeks ago at their place, but it was a tight one. They crawled back. I think it was a double-digit lead you guys have. Uh, they almost crawl all the way back. You end up getting the win there. But what did you learn from that, that first game against North Dakota um, with hopes that maybe you can avoid a stumble this weekend? Yeah, North Dakota is a very well-coached team. They're very creative defensively. They mix up a lot of coverage plans to keep you off balance. Offensively, I think they do a good job playing with pace and keeping the ball moving. So it was a competitive game at their place. Mike Dom had a particularly heroic effort. It was a 30-20 game, um, and we were fortunate to come out with a victory. So we've got to, you know, really prepare ourselves. Uh, you know, make sure we keep the ball moving, keep the game going in transition, and and try not to let your defense get set and be very intentional on the defensive end and make sure we keep the ball out of the paint because when they were able to get to the paint against us last time, they were you know, able to get some driving kick threes and things along those lines. So I think when you play a team, you got to kind of evaluate how that game went, where some things you do differently, and make those adjustments appropriately on the next time around. That's T.J. Altsberger, head coach, South Dakota State. Hey, coach, thanks for chatting today. Uh, best of luck, North Dakota. Best of luck over the final month of the regular season. Really appreciate it. Sounds great. Thanks for the opportunity. Okay, before Dan D'Antoni hops on, a quick message from Enclosed. This Valentine's Day, how about something different for your wife or girlfriend? Something romantic. Something like a luxury gift service called Enclosed. They'll deliver designer lingerie to your special lady every single month. It's like a flower of the month club with ultra high-end lingerie instead. And this isn't the cheap stuff. This is the kind of quality that will impress. Each month, you tell Enclosed what you think she would like. They choose the styles, and they send you a custom lingerie gift for her. And they back up the gift with a 100% size guarantee, so you can't mess it up. If you join the thousands of couples that already love Enclosed, I'm going to give you a promo code. Right now, you get $35 off your Enclosed gift. Go to theenclosed.com, T-H-E-E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D.com, and enter the code HOTROUTE at checkout to get $35 off any multi-month gift. That's theenclosed.com, $35 off the best gift this Valentine's Day. Now joined by Dan D'Antoni, Marshall head coach. Hey, coach, thanks for chatting today. How is everybody feeling as you come down the final stretch of the regular season? Well, after last Saturday night losing one, uh, last we missed the last second shot to win it. It's always a struggle in coaching, but uh, you know what? It's uh, I always tell people that if you want to get on a very go round, there's not a big line. But that roller coaster we go up down. There's always a lot of people want to get on that. So four scheduled games remaining, and then you have those four flex games, new new in Conference right. USA this season. Do you like what, what the conference did by dividing up the teams? I think they'll be divided up here in about a week and a half. Do you like what they're doing by dividing up those teams to improve uh, postseason chances? Well, I have no idea, to be honest with you. I know that uh, for the first four years here, uh, what we did got us one, you know, one uh, team in and uh, a 14 seat. I think the five was basically – trying to get us a better seed. 
that was the main thing, and a chance maybe for a second team. But the biggest thing was changing it from a 14th seed or 13th seed to 11. And we felt like you had a much better chance of winning that first game, although we won the first game the last four times we played in that tournament. I've always kind of been of a, well, you can watch my teams and tell, a little bit of a gunslinger in that. That's right, too. It's different. It's uh, out of the box a little bit. Uh, Mark Adams kind of one devised it. And, uh, you know, he's got his best interest of the mid-majors and trying to improve their uh, positioning in the Conference USA. We'll give it a chance and uh, see what happens, evaluate it, and go from there. Yeah, Mark Adams, former head coach, current ESPN analyst, he was involved in those flex scheduling discussions. And a couple of weeks ago, he tweeted the following about you and your program. He said, and I quote, innovative, uh, excuse me, innovative, fun, progressive team coached by an offensive visionary who coaches like he's a kid in a candy store. Do you agree with that? Are you coaching? I know you said you're a gunslinger, but are you coaching like you're a kid in a candy store? I've always tried to stay young in thoughts. You know, I wish I could stay young in body, but uh, but it, it, that's more difficult. But young in thoughts and uh, trying to enjoy life, uh, that, that is at any age, and I've done that since I was a little kid. So, you know, I, I, I appreciate the things that are around me and try to uh, have a good home life and taught me to appreciate people around you first and then the things that are around you. So, you know what? I got good people around me. I'm home. So I remember back at your introductory press conference, I mean, we're, we're about five years ago now, Athletics Director Mike Hamrick said that he actually offered the job to both you and your brother Mike when you guys were with the Lakers. Curious if you're willing to share how that whole process played out. Well, they wanted Mike. You know, I was an afterthought, but, uh, you know, I understand maybe. So they were after him, and then uh, he kind of screwed him on a little bit because he had a contract with the Lakers. He didn't know where he was going to go and kind of what he wanted to do. He was tempted. He thought about uh, coming back here. And uh, uh, at the last second, there was nothing that could be worked out with the Lakers that was suitable. So he he turned it down. Uh, That point on, how I got there was uh, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, persuasion and uh, a little bit from my other brother, which is a lawyer down here. you know, taking a chance on a guy who's older and hadn't coached at this level, understanding the, the risk that Marshall took. Was there any, I know you've called this your dream job. Uh, was there any, you use the word persuasion. Was there any doubt in your mind that when this was officially offered to you, that this was the job that you wanted no matter what? Well, they could have offered it when I graduated. And, and I did work here twice. Uh, two years before I left, right right before the plane crash, after the plane crash, I left. And there was a, a doctor, you know, who always wanted me to have this. He was the head of the big green. And a big marshal doctor sports. He wanted me to have the head job, and that's what he told me. And, of course, he passed. It just wasn't the same, so I left. We're not on my own. So you mentioned that, that Mike thought about it. I think you said something to the effect of at the last minute it was decided that the Lakers couldn't really find out something contract-wise. I'm curious, could you ever see him, if the situation was right, uh, him returning to college basketball, not necessarily at Marshall, whether that's after you were on your staff or whatever, but could you see Mike eventually coming back to college basketball after all these decades in the NBA and overseas? Well, not now. I, I, I could have maybe 10 years ago. 
you know, he, he's what sixty six now, and you know, he'll he'll finish another two or three years where he is. I think after that, we I'll be at the age of where we'll be playing golf or doing things. We're pretty close, so we speak every day. And uh, you know, I I don't see him going further than me, and I got a little shorter window than he has, not much, but cause I, we both look and feel about the same, I think. So, you know, it's just, uh, you know, life, eventually life gets a little shorter on the one end than it is the other. So I had Tim Tebow on the show a few weeks back, and he had some interesting comments on locker room dynamics, going from a Florida locker room with unpaid student-athletes to an NFL locker room, guys making seven, eight figures a year, and now he's in minor league baseball locker rooms where guys are basically making minimum wage, really, with the exception of some draft picks. And in a span of about a decade, you kind of had similar movement, going from high school basketball to the NBA with guys making seven, eight figures. Now you're going back to unpaid college student-athletes. Is there an environment or is there a a player with that type of situation that you prefer working with? Well, I, you know, I like them all. And, and, I, and somebody always asked me, how did you change? I didn't. I, I coached them all, whether it was uh, uh, Steve Nash or Landry Fields or uh, uh, Jerry Jeffries or David Lee or, you know, I, I, Roger Bell. You know, and I still talk to them. I, I basically the same way. I, you know, I just try to help them as much as I can, and don't put it out there what I see, and, and then it's up to them to decide. I'm not one of those that feel like I know every damn thing, and, and uh, you know, if you don't do it the way I'm thinking, you should do it. That that's the way it should be done. And uh, I'm more of, uh, you know, let's work this thing together. Uh, it's a kind of a combination of a coach player type of situation. So I did that even when I was in high school coaching high school and through college. Now, I will say my, my feelings on paying or, or not paying is that when they come in, they, they come in from different family situations in the college. Some of them have uh, maybe life like that. Some of them though, have a, an easier uh, financial position outside of basketball. It makes it, they you know, they can get their clothes that they need to be a part of the scene. They they can have a car maybe that helps them get around a little bit. So I, my, my thing is, is that there, I think there is a level at the college level that if you could level that off to where uh, people who are really don't have much of anything have enough to at least get the clothing that they need and not be pinched by the financial situation. That's not big salaries, obviously, but and I don't think you need as much as a young man. Uh, your health gets you through most everything. You feel good all the time. But if you do have enough financial behind you so that you're not pinched, uh, I think uh, that's the most important thing. It'll never even out totally because when you're helping the ones that need it the most, you're also helping ones that probably don't even need it. But at the same time, if you get that bottom up to where they're not pinched, and they're able to go to school and concentrate on their studies and basketball without the financial uh, burden. Then I think that's enough. And high school, I you know obviously I don't think you should get anything. Got to leave it out. And there's people there that'll help you at your hometown. Normally, if you if you're the type of young man that deserves the help. So you know that's kind of where I am. And then they're going with pros, and obviously they're making a lot of money, but. Uh, Again, I treated them the same whether they had money or not money. It, I just do the best I can to help with the team and, and then help them be successful. 
NBA to be, you know, Leon Stoney with Leandro Barbosa. He got into the league really successfully. David Lee had a big contract. Chris Duhon and I are still great friends. Helped you go to the Illinois State. It started here at Cisco in the Illinois State as assistant coach. Jared Jeffries, I talk. Roger Bell helps me with people. I, you know, they're just good acquaintances. I, I enjoy, I enjoy the, uh, I enjoy what I learn from them, and I enjoy uh, uh, the conversations I have with them. Just on a friend to friend basis. This philosophy, your your opinion on the financial part of of college athletics, has that evolved? You know, over the different jobs you've had. I mean, coming from when you were playing at Marshall back 45 years ago and then high school basketball, NBA, has that philosophy evolved or is that something that you've kind of had with you since you were a student athlete yourself? Well, I kind of felt that from the very get-go. You know, I, there were players on my team that didn't have us. I didn't have very much. My dad uh, was, uh, I think, made three, a little over $3,000 a year. So we didn't have – I didn't have, uh, but it was considered middle class in college. It was funny how little money it took to be considered that. But uh, I had enough to where I didn't, I had to work. I mean, I worked summers and I worked uh, uh, off when I was playing basketball. Uh, but basketball is involved now to where you don't have, uh, the seasons just keep getting longer and longer. And you don't have that chance to do what I did, which was work. Uh, in the summer times to get enough money to get me through. Now, basketball so involved in going year-round, it's almost impossible. And I look at it almost like uh, by the pay that they get, being able to get the same amount of money I was able to collect because of not playing or being obligated to be at a certain place in the summertime, that I was able to collect enough money to uh, uh, get me through. So, you know, I, I kind of looking at it that way, you know, I, I had teammates that uh, you know had a lot needed a lot more than just a summer job to give them, and you know it makes it tough on them. You don't get to practice as much. You know, uh, basketball is much more of a career too than it was back when I was there. Uh, you can play in a lot of different places, extend your play well into the thirties, a lot more than uh, opportunities than when I was uh, there. So it's uh, it's there's a much bigger reason to hone your skills uh, a little bit more that way than maybe a, a career in uh, education or uh, whatever your major is in college. Uh, a lot of these players now are coming out and extending their basketball careers another eight to ten years before they really come back and get a real job. So you mentioned Steve Nash, a lot of the other guys that you've you know, either coached or been around. Where does John Elmore fit into that conversation? Last weekend, uh, or two weekends ago, he became the program's all-time leader in assists, three-point field goals. He came over from VMI during your first season, tested the draft water. So where does he fit in that conversation? I'm not, not necessarily asking where does he fit as one of the best players, just where does his game, where does he fit as one of those players that you've coached um, and that you'll you know remember for the next 10 or 15 years? Well, obviously, he gave me the best ride, that, uh, or one of the people who gave me the best ride, a big part. That's why I need Marshall, the best ride that they've ever had, the conclusion of the season. But we've never had a team, even Mike Stephen finished, I think, 12th in the uh, national ranking, got as high as ninth, but never finished as high as, as what he took us. And, uh, you know, they're still uh, celebrating that here in Huntington, so... Uh, the ride he gave me and the excitement of coming back and really helping fulfill my dream, which was to have 
why do you think that his games uh, you know fit so well on your ear spread him out system and what type of player do you think he can be in the NBA because of what he's done at Marshall well, I think, one, he has to be a little bit like Steve Nash, to be honest with you. He's a very similar. He's not the most athletic kid. He's athletic. He's not as, as athletic as some people. He's not as strong as some people as Steve Nash wasn't as strong as some people. And Steve Nash was given that by Dallas as not being able to take him very far into the playoff. And he got to uh, Phoenix where the system opened up and allowed the speed of the game to speed up. John's flourished, and, and, and flourishing, he's, he's really helped Marshall turn our basketball program. From, and there's a kind of, too, of, uh, I mean, of entertainment within the competition itself. There's a, there's a product of entertainment that puts fans in the stand that watch uh, the games that makes your program better because the kids who see it want to be a part of it. All right, Coach, I will let you go here. Hey, thanks again for the time. Uh, big one on Thursday at North Texas. Safe travels this week. Best of luck rest of the season. Really appreciate the time. I do apologize for the subpar audio on that. He was coming in a little rough on his side, and that is entirely my fault, doing some traveling, uh, working without the ideal resources. I'm currently sitting on the end of a bed with a ironing board propped up as the desk. So... Not ideal situation. My apologies if that was uncomfortable for you. Um, hopefully it does not come out that awful and everyone was still able to hear the meat of his comments. I didn't know that Marshall was actually that close to hiring Mike D'Antoni. You know, at the time, there were a lot of reports of the strong interest, like I mentioned in the opening, strong interest between both sides, but I didn't know that it was simply a contract issue. From what you know, Dan just said, the contract issue seemed to be the sole reason why Mike didn't take that job. So that was kind of interesting. Okay, so next week on the High Motor Podcast, I'm going to have an Oscars preview show. going to be chatting with a former colleague from way back in the day, Pete Blackburn. Pete, he's now with CBS Sports. Um, he's been at Fox Sports. He's been at Uproxx. Now has a podcast called Brunch. So we're going to do a lot of movie breakdown, um, just like he does on Brunch. We're going to bring that over. He's going to give us an Oscars preview. That will be next Tuesday. Run down some favorite films, favorite actors. Uh, supporting actors, all of that stuff, nominees that we didn't love, make some predictions. I'm going to explain why I'm beyond baffled why Black Klansman is getting so much love. So I'm going to give my take on that movie. We'll give our takes on a lot of other stuff. With Pete Blackburn, that's next Tuesday, February 12th. In the meantime, check on the pod on iTunes, on Spreaker. Hit subscribe to get that episode downloaded immediately. Thanks again to TJ Otzelberger, Dan D'Antoni for chatting this week, and thanks to everyone for listening. Now please allow Creed Bratton, I'm bringing back Creed Bratton from the old Hot Route days to serenade you into the rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the High Motor Podcast on the Hero Sports Podcast Network. I saw a friend today, it had been a while, and we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces